We are not sure of sorrow, and joy was never sure. Today will die tomorrow, time stoops to no man's lure. And love grown faint and fretful, with lips but half regretful, sighs with deep eyes forgetful, weeps that no loves endure. Algernon Charles Swinburne what we'll do. Welcome, my friends, to this charming tableau. Have I got a show for you? Hello, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of Strangely and Friends, the podcast. Week two of me being stuck in a tiny cabin in the middle of nowhere. We, uh, once again, do not have a guest this week, but I am very happy that I was able to make another episode this week and that it is coming out to you, so I hope you enjoy the show. I hope wherever you are in the world this finds you well, and uh, yeah, that little bit of poetry I shared by Algernon Charles Swinburne at the beginning is from, I actually read the quotation in a book uh, about Nick the Greek, the gambler, I read a biography of him this week. And that was a bit of poetry that he really liked that he quoted to someone at some point. So, um, yeah, I just thought I'd read that. I didn't really have a good spot for it, so I put it at the beginning as like kind of a pre-credits opening teaser thing. So, yeah, I, uh, n not a lot has happened to me this week. I'm on spring break from school, and my job, the day job that I was kind of working for a little bit, isn't happening anymore because of... Uh, current world events so yeah but that's it for current world events let's let's uh let's get on with the show strangely recommends in 200 words or less including these 11 who imposed this rule <clears throat> yahtzee's dev diary this video series by the creator of popular video game review short show, Zero Punctuation, has a simple premise. Develop 12 small video games in 12 months. As I write this, Yahtzee is closing in on his final game. A truly remarkable feat. I have not personally played any of the games, but have followed the series with avid passion. Obviously this kind of small project stacking up thing is of interest to me. But it's the ancillary material that really makes this series a must watch. Yahtzee devotes significant time to explaining how and why video games work as a medium, touching on everything from art direction to detailed analysis of the concept of a primary gameplay loop. Yahtzee, the author of several novels, goes further, folding musings about writing and general creativity into the show, sharing the ups and downs of creating not just regular video content, but also fully playable video games as well. His writing is also really funny. If you're looking for an inspiring kick up the backside to get your own projects in gear, check out Yahtzee's Dev Diary via YouTube or escapismagazine.com. 
By the way, Yahtzee is spelled like the game with the dice in the cup. And, you know, the, the cup you can drink out of if you run out of clean dishes. Anyway, go check it out. Unfortunately, once again this week, there is no guest. I'm still trying to figure out a reliable way that I can, like, call someone on the phone and record it or whatever. Um, if you'd like to be a guest on the show, but obviously we can't be in the same place right now, if any of you listening want to send an audio recording of you talking about something or uh, reading something that you really like or whatever, uh, send it to me. You can email it to me, strangely.dewsberg at gmail.com. Uh, and I would love to, uh, I would love to just like clip it into the podcast and we can, uh, we can have it be like, you know, a guest contribution or something like that. So yeah, uh, let me know if you, uh, want to be a sort of like a recording guest, I guess. Anyway, moving on to our next segment. Here's a thought. Who were you the last time you experienced that story? I recently rewatched the 80s classic Ferris Bueller's Day Off with my family and was surprised by how anarchic it truly is. I've not seen the film in almost 20 years and found myself in an almost constant state of wheezing conniptions at the surreal lengths the film goes to. Granted, that's kind of the point, but I suppose what I'm getting at is the gap in time between when I first or when I last experienced it and now. When I last saw Ferris Bueller's Day Off, I was probably around 13 or 14. The wild abandon with which the leads in the film careened through their world like spheres in a pinball machine seemed wholly appropriate. The schemes and lies directed at adults who were just too dumb or fun-hating to ever understand were justified and worthy of celebration. Nobody over the age of 18 in the film, with the exception of the auto garage attendants, is worth a damn, and as a teenager I found myself nodding in sage approval. There is something so distinctly correct about this film's portrayal of a teenage mindset. In much the same way that Minder de Jong and David Henry Wilson capture the intricacies of a child's mind, here John Hughes has tapped not only a teenager's idea of the world, but then has built a world around that mindset where the mindset actually works. I had a similar reaction when viewing Wes Anderson's Rushmore across the span of approximately 13 years. One of the plot lines in the film follows the attempts by Max, a high school student, to romance his attractive young teacher. His plans include attempting to build an aquarium because she shows a slight affinity for fish and staging a bicycle crash outside her house. As a teenager, I was rooting for Max to win the affections of the teacher. The film had a palpable air of the dramatic. As attempt after attempt by Max failed, his schemes seemed wholly reasonable at the time. It was only as an adult watching the film years later that I understood it to be a comedy. Perhaps too dark for some tastes, but a comedy nonetheless. I was howling with laughter at what no longer seemed like sweet attempts to express affection, but instead came across as the awkward, stilted behavior of someone on the precipice of adulthood. Max is a character who has just begun to see how much life opens up when one becomes an adult. Many of us have a tendency to assume we've seen a film, read a book, or heard a story before, but perhaps the self which experienced a work previously no longer exists. So here's a little project for this week. Go watch a film or read a book you've not looked at in at least 15 years, preferably something you think you know. I almost guarantee the results will surprise you. <sighs> I need more coffee. Hokey Fright, have you heard about The Island of Dr. Moreau? 
oh man, this book is like the original slick techno thriller. In so many ways, one could argue H.G. Wells was the Michael Crichton of the 1890s. And I mean that as an insult to neither author. Wells, much like Crichton, used the cutting-edge science of his day to imagine fanciful plots fueled not by magic, but by hard, at least to him, original scientific facts. With the re recent release of Blumhouse's The Invisible Man, I decided to revisit the story. I ended up getting a collected edition of Wells' novels, The Invisible Man, The War of the Worlds, The Island of Dr. Moreau, and The Time Machine, and I soon found myself revisiting them all with mounting joy. These are by no means great works of literature. They are rife with ridiculous coincidences and plot contrivances of narrative that may strike the modern reader as unsophisticated, to put it charitably, but they have their high points too. Notable is the fact that the principal threat in the War of the Worlds isn't the Martian invasion, but rather how most people begin to behave once they realize it's going down for real. Similarly, the tension in the Invisible Man book is not derived from the fact that Griffin has rendered himself invisible, but rather from his poor behavior once this has been accomplished. Stealing things, killing people, etc., etc. Which brings me around to the island of Dr. Moreau. <laughs> wow, just wow. One of the four major novels by Wells, this is perhaps the strangest. A mad scientist has set himself up on a remote island and figured out how to, via a combination of vivisection and blood transfusions, turn animals into people. Now I know, I opened this segment by comparing Wells to Michael Crichton, but like, have you read Timeline? Just saying. Anyways. As cuckoo bananas as that premise sounds, it is, like all of Wells' books, more about how the principal character ends up behaving when faced with this nonsense. And that's where the work really shines. See, the, the lead character thinks himself a man of science, he thinks that he's someone who's, who's seen a thing or two, who understands things about the world, but he really is this very sheltered guy, and as soon as he's presented with this absolutely, like, bananas thing going on he freaks out and like has a mental breakdown at first so there's almost like an element of unreliable narrator going on it's it's really a lot of fun the i i think the character of edward prendick yes yes prendick look these are from a different time and honestly if you want to get prurient with hg wells chapter 14 of war of the worlds contains this gem quote he heard footsteps running to and fro in the rooms and up and down the stairs behind him. His landlady came out the door, loosely wrapped in a dressing gown and shawl. Her husband followed, ejaculating. <laughs> At some point, I should just do an entire episode of this podcast about linguistic drift. I could talk about how the word boner used to just mean a simple mistake, and dildo went through a period in the 1950s of just meaning dummy, in context as benign as, like, Reader's Digest. Speaking of Reader's Digest, <clears throat> where was I? Uh, yeah, okay, Prendick. Anyways, Prendick first recoils in horror from the various creations of the titular Doctor, but eventually finds himself living among them, even forging relationships with some of them. The novel keeps waving its hands in the vague direction of having some kind of philosophical discussion about what is humanity, what is consciousness, what is the soul, and then decides it would be way more fun to devolve into descriptions of beastly behaviors and bloody dismemberments. But it's also deliciously fun that the reader scarcely cares. I'm a proponent of the idea that people in the past were basically the same as they are now. They were, at core, concerned with the same concerns we are. 
with the same drives and worries that we have now. Along that line, they were also seeking something to shock, to titillate, perhaps make them feel as though they'd learned something. See also Conan Doyle or Jules Verne. Just because something is a classic doesn't mean it's dull, stuffy, or boring. I mean, go revisit some of these. Good lord, you've got ejaculating landlords and chanting beastmen wielding whips. Read more classics! <clears throat> I'm not saying it's good, but at least now you've heard about it. Uh, oh, P.S. To any fans of Warehouse 13, I've pretty much accepted that the version of H.G. Wells from that show is the real H.G. Wells. That's my headcanon, and I'm sticking to it. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go go watch Warehouse 13. It's a great show. It's like someone sent X-Files to summer camp to cheer it up, and then it ate all the sugar in the house. Song of the Week. This is called Sneaky Song, and uh, it's the first new song I've written in probably almost a year. I should, I should cl clarify that a little bit. I'm, I've been writing a theatrical cabaret show with my friend Jonica, and I've written some songs for that in the last year, but I haven't written any just like strangely songs. So I'm really excited to have this. This is a new song, and uh, yeah, I hope, I hope you all enjoy it. This is called Sneaky Song. I've got a song following me around Like the squeaky wheel on the bicycle Everyone knows all over town When the man with the music brings the sound Ride so straight, ride so true Ride that bike that belongs to you Ride so grave, ride so strong Ride your life ball, sing along Like a monkey on my back I can hear the song creeping round Gotta hit my personal smack Time to peel my skull open till it cracks Ride so straight, ride so true Ride that bike that belongs to you Ride so grave, ride so strong Ride your life, I'll sing along Gotta let this thing out Can't hold it in no more, no more Hope the battle's not a rout Pray the crowds all stand and shout Ride so straight, ride so true Ride that bike that belongs to you Ride so grave, ride so strong Ride your life, fall, sing along Grab a pen Write one, two. There's no rules in this game, dear friend. Let's free the soul inside of you. Send our hearts up to the blue.
Ride so straight, ride so true. Ride that bike that belongs to you. Ride so brave, ride so strong. Ride your life, fall, sing along. so straight, ride so true, ride that bike that belongs to you, ride so brave, ride so strong, ride your life, I'll sing along, ride your life, I'll sing, I'll sing along. Thank you. Uh, I, it's interesting, I, I included the line, ride so straight, ride so true, ride that bike that belongs to you. There, there used to be this um, sort of semi-homeless old, old man in my hometown who had a bicycle with a squeaky wheel, and he would ride it all over town, and uh, he rode slower than you can possibly imagine. So imagine someone riding a bike slowly down the street, slower. Like half that speed. No, like half that speed. There you go. It was it was it was it was unbelievable. He could ride in a perfectly straight line at a unbearably slow speed, like the slowest walking pace you can imagine. He could just sort of get his bike to go along. And I, I'm just always thinking of him when I sing the chorus of this song. It's just kind of this, just sliding along. And often he'd have a little trailer, and sometimes there would be a lawnmower in it, or sometimes there'd be like some old guitars or something and he would like sell you anything that was in his trailer he would sell it to you for like super cheap and I don't know where he got it he was just kind of this weird old man anyway that was the song of the week resolution update so uh, at the beginning of this year I made six new year's resolutions and I've decided that every episode of the podcast will have a quick update on all of them so here we go number one read Moby Dick I don't have a copy of this here. I might do an audiobook, but I do have this copy of Gravity's Rainbow, so maybe I'll give that a try. Number two, learn to understand my carbon footprint. No updates here. I haven't driven in a car in two weeks, um, but I did bake a cake using mayo instead of eggs, um, so there's an interesting thing that has nothing to do with that. Anyway, uh, I like the cake better, so maybe you could give that a shot. <laughs> Number three. Finnish lessons. Uh, I mentioned last week that I got accepted to the study abroad program in Italy. Don't know if that's happening with all of the things going on in the world right now, but what I've decided to do is I've decided to study Finnish and Italian just in case. Number four, quit watching streaming stuff. Oh boy. Uh, at some point, I need to write a longer piece explaining the psychology of why I wanted to do this, but obviously... Uh, things are a little complicated for not watching streaming content in the world right now. Uh, so here's the compromise I made with myself. Uh, what I've decided is that I can stream individual things that I pay for. So like I could go on Amazon or Google Play and like buy the right to watch a movie or rent the right to watch a movie. I just, I, I don't want to spend 
time like gormlessly staring at like what's on Netflix trying to choose what to watch and I also am trying to not just watch things to put something on so I'll write more about that maybe next week but uh, there's a little update on that <laughs> number five make at least 36 episodes of this podcast well uh, I am behind for this year but I did go from no episodes for two months to two episodes in two weeks like it's supposed to be so count me as casually sort of opt casually count me as a uh, 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 guardedly optimistic that I'm back on track number six read 52 books well I've now read 24 books so far this year which is three more than I had read last week, which puts me past par for the week and also way ahead for the year. So I guess I could get to 52 books and stop reading books and just make more podcasts. I'll have to think about that. (laughs) 50-word movie reviews. Emma. I cannot stop gushing about this film. I cannot remember laughing this hard at a film or being as moved. This movie also has some of the best production design I've seen outside of a Guillermo del Toro film, and the music is fantastic. And Johnny Flynn is in it. Mailbag. As I mentioned in last week's episode, I'm not currently in Bellingham, but you can still send paper mail to my art studio. The address is strangely 1000 Harris Avenue, Bellingham, Washington 98225. Also in light of current regulations in some places, I've relaxed my communication rules for this podcast and you can email me or send me messages through Patreon if you have a question or comment or request about the podcast. So uh, if you'd like to get in touch, you can send emails to strangely.dusburg. Uh, my last name is spelled D-O-E-S-B-U-R-G, like Dusburg, at gmail.com. And you can also check out patreon.com strangely. show for you it was awkward but we made it through hopefully next week there'll be a guest or two on my next show for you strangely and friends the podcast is usually produced at sonic suitcase studios in fairly fine fairhaven washington sonic suitcase studios is located in the morgan block building part of the people's land trust However, Strangely and Friends, the podcast is currently being produced at my friend's cabin, the Owl Fortress, somewhere in the forest. This podcast is made possible by my incredible supporters on Patreon. You can check out patreon.com strangely to find out how to make, how to help me make more of whatever this is. Normally, at the end of the podcast, I tell a joke, 
But I thought today I'd just read you a couple of limericks by Edward Lear because, well, I enjoy them. So here's a brace of limericks by Edward Lear. There was an old person of sky who waltzed with a blue bottle fly. They'd buzz the sweet tune to the light of the moon and entranced all the people of sky. There was a young person of air whose head was remarkably square. On the top in fine weather, she wore a gold feather that dazzled the people of air. Friends, the podcast is a Herringbone Society production.